Welcome to Sheepdog Nation podcast, the only place on the internet where law enforcement and their families can come to be understood, supported, and stood up for. Here's your host, the always entertaining, down-to-earth, yet-in-your-face truth speaker and Leo herself, Autumn Schmidt. Sheepdog Nation, I am so excited. I am here with um, Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman, who he as you guys know, he pegged the name Sheepdog Nation, and he has an amazing book, and, and I, I just can't wait to talk with him. And So, um, Colonel, welcome. Thank you for being here with us. My pleasure, Autumn. You know, we, we, uh, I retired from the Army 20 years ago. Wow. The 21st anniversary in, in December. Uh, I've been out on the road doing this two, 300 days a year. I'm 62 years old, and it's my prayer I can do it for another 20 years. But, uh, you know, sooner or later, you know, we got to hand it over to a new generation and uh, you and what you're doing and your podcast represents uh, uh, the fact that we can, we can be confident we're handing over to new generation of sheepdogs and to do the job. It's, it's, a, it's an honor to be on board. Well, thank you so much. That means so much, Colonel. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who don't know? Uh, I, uh, uh, prior service buck sergeant, uh, went to OCS and, paratrooper, army ranger, West Point psychology professor. Uh, and you know what? I was selected to teach psychology at West Point. I applied to several different departments. You know, I just wanted to go to graduate school for two years on the Army's time. and I got selected to teach psychology. I thought, I'm a, I'm a military historian. I'm a, I'm a beady-eyed killer, you know, I, psychology. So I figured out I'll study psychology of killing, not homicide, but lawful killing. Mm-hmm. And that, that became my first book on killing. And that book has sold half a million titles worldwide. It's translated into eight languages. You know, I was at a, uh, I was at a conference one time, and they gave an honor to this professor, the retiring professor. And he said his, his work had been cited like almost 200 times in scholarly works in his research. You know, that was pretty cool. How do you figure that out? I said, well, you go to Google Scholar, you know, and you load in your work and and grossman on killing has been cited over seven thousand times worldwide you know? wow <laughs> and then uh and then uh but the most important book was on combat you know uh, i i retired from the army in 98 the only people who were in the fight every day was law enforcement mm. the military was peacetime military you know and mm-hmm. and, uh, and i was out there working with my cops every day and they're out there putting it on the line, life and death events. I'm talking to people, and I realized, for those who fully prepared themselves, killing is just not that big a deal. It's all the other stuff, auditory exclusion, slow motion, time, and then what happens afterwards. That was what's important, and that became my second book, On Combat. And, uh, and uh, the On Combat was just an early draft as uh, the, the global war on terror, 9-11, happened. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, uh, I, I put this book out, and I'm out teaching the SEALs and special forces and who are in the fight. And I thought, who am I to teach these guys? And what I found out was the more combat they have, the more intense the demand, the more they value what you have to give them. Mm-hmm. And it's just really an empowering realization that these people are hungry for information, and they're in the fight every day. Mm-hmm. And and. You know, they, they, they got the open acid test. Everything they do, they walk out the door and put their life on the line. And if it's stupid, it dies real fast. Mm-hmm. It, it just perpetuates itself. So uh, uh, the whole sheepdog thing came out of the book on combat. We did the sheepdog kids book. And the sheepdog kids book is really a lot of fun. We're really touching lives with that. We've been rocking and rolling with it. And the other books since then we can talk about. But it, it's just been a great ride. Yeah. To be of service to to law enforcement and military across all these years, uh, we put it online for us every day, and and it's it's bad right now, and it's yeah. going to get worse. But yeah. we need to understand that there's great honor, in manning the ramparts with courage and honor, in one of our darkest hours. Mm. Uh, the last two years, the homicide rate has exploded like nothing we've ever seen in the history of our nation. You know, metal, medical technology is holding down the homicide rate. Uh, gang crime and gang membership exploded. Uh, Latin America is a howling war zone. Nobody pops across the border to Mexico for meal yeah, and shopping kidding. no more. Uh, I just went down and trained in Mexico City had a four-man security detail that never left me, you know. And uh, uh, it's uh, scary times all around. The people who hit us on 9-11 are still there. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hunting them down across the globe. But, uh, mm-hmm. they, 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 they want to hurt us with all their might. And, and, and the next 9-11 is always hanging out there. Uh, and the unique thing about America, we're the only people on the planet who say the military cannot get involved in American soil. We have given the mission to local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And we're the only ones that play the game with that rule. Mm-hmm. And people won't realize we're at war and they're still there. Our troops out there fighting and dying every day, closing down their camps, closing down the nations. But over here at home, for all practical purpose in time of war, our law enforcement and other branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. And we're you know what? All of that. And I really, I really love that you said that um, because in your book on combat, obviously you do talk about that. You do talk about that we are you know, we are in war on our own soil. And like, exactly like you said, so, you know, obviously our military, much respect to the military, you you know, going across seas and going out of country, but what about our police officers as well, right? Like, just like you said, like our officers, we're fighting, we're at war. And what I want to talk to you about specifically is what's your opinion on the effects of that? Because we don't get to, as officers, like we don't get to go, like we go home we're still we're home like we're not like we're never like gone from the war so to speak you know you know when uh it's funny when when i work with my military units i try to find parallels that allow them to put it in perspective i say ah you know my son my son is air force combat controller spec ops nine combat tours early on in the war people say wow how can we sustain this how can we be a combat decade after decade i said well you know my cops have done it forever you know, I said, my cops, uh, they're out there on the mean streets uh, for 30 years. They retire and they move on. And, you know, and, and if they can handle it, we can handle it. Mm-hmm. But there's great value in looking across the board. On the other hand, the military does turn it off. They can come home and, and completely turn it off and, uh, and be reasonably safe because the, the, the cops are there covering their six and watching their back. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, um, you know, the cops have another side of the, the equation, but, you know, it, it, they do have that luxury of being able to come home to their family every night and, uh, and being able to turn it off. Most of them, the, the battle doesn't necessarily follow them home. But we can always look on the other side and say, look, if, if they can do it for 17 years, nine combat tours, and we can do what we do, uh, knowing that we can come home to our family every night and Mm-hmm. Take the weekends off on most weeks or whatever, and mm-hmm. uh, look at it all in in perspective. And and, and the upshot of the stress, yeah, is strength. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you you know, we talk about the myth of the broken soldier that comes out of this war. Uh, you you may have heard twenty two veterans a day take their life. Yes, and uh, and best we can tell this right. You got to extrapolate an awful lot of data, but very few people know of that twenty two. Only one or two are from the current war. Of course, there's other. Of course, there's other wars. The word veteran mm-hmm. applies to anybody who served in the armed forces. Mm-hmm. You know, in the fifties and sixties, they drafted everybody. Elvis Presley was drafted. Elvis was a veteran, and, and so those twenty-two veterans a day, it's it's almost like an intentional misrepresentation of our veterans mm-hmm. taking their lives, and the war is so evil, and. And the war is bad and the fight is bad, but a new greatest generation rising up to. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that business that 22 veterans a day, you know, the other one, uh, uh, I, I tell people, you used to be able to dig for this. Now it'll come right up. Go to the Veterans Administration website, look up PTSD in Iraq and Afghanistan. 16% of the troops who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD. 11% of the ones who didn't deploy have PTSD. Mm. About 5% contract PTSD. Uh, the British studied their troops in Afghanistan, 5%. The Dutch studied their troops in Afghanistan, about 5%. You know, I, I, I present at national and international psych conferences, and a British psychiatrist sent me an email, said, Dave, you know, the returning British troops are under 5% PTSD. I keep seeing 40% uh, for Americans. What's the difference? Well, the difference is really tragic misrepresentation of our veterans in the media. No a lot of confirmation bias. You know, you, you find information that confirms your bias and you stick with it, never look any deeper. Mm. Some of it may be straight up politics, intentionally misrepresenting the situation. Mm. But, you know, 16% of 3 million veterans of this war is half a million people. Mm-hmm. They deserve our help. We'll be there for them. Mm-hmm. Keep it in perspective. I keep running into veterans 
who think there's something wrong with them because there's nothing wrong with them, you know? Mm-hmm. We've got to go in that life and death event, believe it, it'll make us stronger. I, I, I call this no pity party, you know, no pity party. Uh, believe the, that a new greatest generation is rising up. You know, uh, Nietzsche said, but it's kill us only makes us stronger. Yeah. And he stole that from the Bible. 2,000 years before Nietzsche, Romans chapter 5, we glory in tribulation, for tribulation work of patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope make up not ashamed. Romans chapter 5, 2,000 years before Nietzsche, saying the same thing. Mm. Uh, the name of a book, uh, 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 What Doesn't Kill Us, that's the name of a, a book uh, about the new science of post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And a new greatest generation rising up to the challenge across these years. It's the worst of times, it's the best of times. I tell people the first step in resiliency is motivation. Mm. To know that your sacrifice is a noble and worthy purpose. To understand how desperately the world needs what you have to give. Uh, nobody ever became a cop because their goal in life is get stinking filthy rich. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have chosen a life of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the greatest love is not to sacrifice your life, but to lead a life of sacrifice. And you must believe that your sacrifice is for a noble and worthy purpose, mm-hmm. that the world desperately needs what you have to give. Mm-hmm. And, and so I tell us the worst of times, it's the best of times. The worse it gets, the more we understand how important our job is and the world needs what we have to give. Uh, I think in the very near future, the public is going to be able to grasp how bad it is. And we're a rich nation. When things go wrong, we throw money at it. And you're going to start seeing cops get paid where they deserve to be paid. The person who decides whether or not to shoot your kid should be the best trained, best paid, best qualified guy on the planet. Yep. And, and I tell people, we, we must never lower the standard. You need more cops, pay them more. <laughs> never lower the standard because we are now in a zero defects environment. Mm. The airlines are in zero defects. Can't crash a single plane. Oh, come on. You know, 10,000 traffic accidents happen every day. One airline crash a day is reasonable, right? Oh, well, one airline crash a year? No. Right. One airline crash every 10 years? No. Right. You cannot crash a single plane. You can't even let a single passenger be sucked out the window. <laughs> investigate. We will fine you. We will fire you. We will put you in jail. Mm-hmm. That's what zero defects looks like. Mm-hmm. Every cop is being videotaped. Mm-hmm. Their videotape, your videotape, security cameras, every single thing we do is caught on camera. Mm-hmm. We cannot afford to have a single cop walk out that door and do something stupid. Yep. That's what zero defects looks like. The world has changed. You know, and any, any bad thing that happens will be on video and YouTube, and we will pay a tragic price for it for years to come. And what that means, zero defects, is... Uh, we, we must never lower the standard. You want more cops, you pay them more. But do not lower the standard. Such a death spiral that'll put us in a very, very bad place. Yeah. And, and I really love that you said that. I really love that you say that. Um, you know, we obviously are, you know, times have changed. You know, they, they really have changed. You know, and, um, you know, I obviously, I didn't get to work the road 20 years ago, but I did get to work with a lot of veteran officers who did. And, they're getting, they are retiring so quick, Colonel. They're like, oh, I got to get done this because they're like, we are under so much scrutiny. Like my word was all I had back then. And he's like, you know, now, well, I mean, I, I don't even know. And, you know, and sometimes I'm just going to be really honest. I mean, sometimes real police work has to get done. Now I'm not saying we need to go beat anybody's heads and that's not what I'm saying, but sometimes you have to meet somebody on their level and you've got to talk to them the way that they understand. And honestly, the media, they don't like that. You know, the, the public, they cannot understand it because obviously they're not trained. Yeah. But the amount of stress, you know, that our officers are enduring or, you know, I know that I felt, you know, just being like, oh, 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 because of that video, you know. Well, the something important. Uh, it, it's a misconception that the public doesn't support us. Uh, okay. On the, um, in the last Gallup poll, 76% of the public strongly support law enforcement. Hmm. The time in history it was higher was 1968 when it was 77%. Study after study tell us that two most respected institutions in America are military and law enforcement. And it stayed that way. It's even more so. Really? Five cops murdered in Dallas, four cops murdered in Baton Rouge. What happens is the public around behind our cops. We support you, we stand behind you, but we don't want to be you. 
<laughs> Recruiting is down, retention is down, mm-hmm. and cops murdered in the line of duty is up. Mm-hmm. Every year, cops have better tactics, better medical technology, better body armor, better training. Year after year, we hold down the number of murdered cops. The only good measure of the problem is the year-over-year increase in cops murder. Mm-hmm. And 2016 was the single worst year-over-year increase in cops murdered in the history of our nation. Mm-hmm. What's happened is we're polarized. The cop haters have been empowered. They okay. live in a, little, in a little echo chamber. And they find all the other cop haters, and they all get online, and they reinforce it. And you look at the guy that murdered five cops in Dallas and four cops in Baton Rouge, and for every case like that, I'll show you 20 where they died and failed. Mm-hmm. And you look at those cases. This is the media's, the, the, the media's misrepresentation of law enforcement. Because the media, you know, in, in, uh, in the war in Iraq, we, we had to fight the enemy. We had to fight the media every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And with law enforcement, we had to fight criminals, and we fight the media almost every step of the way. You know, uh, uh, the the Sopranos and Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, we've turned criminals into heroes. And a cop to the bad guys. Name me one cop movie in 30 years, then a bad cop in there somewhere. We all cheer when the bad cop dies. And so the media, who are truly a product of their own invention, they're in this feedback chamber. The media finds themselves taking the side of the criminal uh, more and more. And and during the Obama administration that went to pathological levels, the attorney general during the Obama administration, the very idea of of the Department of Justice had had become an abomination. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we paid a terrible price with homicide explosion and other bad things happening. But take a deep breath. Realize the vast majority of Americans stand behind our cops. I believe it's the major issue that turned the last election, the last national elections, uh, when you attack law and order, when you take the side of chaos, mm-hmm. when, it, you know, when, when, you, when you, you talk about mobs versus walls, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about, you know, and when, when, when you talk about one side is a side of chaos, and uh, <clears throat> you got to understand that the American public doesn't buy that. And, uh, and they're, they're rallying together. You've got to have faith in our nation. There have been other hard times. Mm-hmm. You know, look at 1812 when they burned Washington to the ground. You know, look, look mm-hmm. at this civil war filter up with hundreds of thousands. Look mm-hmm. at the living hell of two world wars or, or the Cold War. That was my war. You know, mm-hmm. Korea, Vietnam, thermonuclear holocaust hanging over our head decade after decade. They've been other hard times. We mm-hmm. get through these times. Don't ever give up on our nation. Yeah. But these, are, these are tragic and, uh, and, and desperate times. And, and you've you got to understand just how how great the honor is yeah. to serve to dark and violent times and, and how the, the media is empowering the criminals and, uh, and, and, and that the American public stands behind us. Look at the whole issue. Look at the, the good and the bad and, and be aware of the whole picture, if that makes sense. You know, I really like that. I like the perspective. And I think that, I mean, myself included, I think that it's a really good, fresh perspective because I think, you know, sometimes, well, not sometimes, I think being a police officer, I think, you know, being in any kind of group, right? Like we are just kind of, we're a little pigeonholed, tunnel vision, like, oh, this is just how it is. And I think what you said is, is really, I think that's really important. But let me ask you this, like the polarization, right? Like we are definitely far more polarized, like right now, like, oh my goodness, if you were on the left, you were way left. And if you were on the right, it just seems like you're way on the right, right? Like it's just kind of how it's, it's how it is. But what what's up with the media? In your opinion, why is the media kind of going crazy with, you know, shitting on cops? Well, I'll, I'll tell you politics. Mm-hmm. Now, the right hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the left is where the change has taken place in this whole debate, if you will. This, the, the, uh, and and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on it, for what it's worth. Moving kind of away from my area of expertise, the area of philosophy. But conservatives generally have faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're people of faith. But for the left, politics is their religion. Mm. They go at their politics with the same, uh, especially when you move in the realm of socialism and communism. Mm-hmm. Socialists, you, you, it is truly a religion. Has everyone proven to work? <laughs> Never once. <laughs> well, this time we'll get it right. Just give us control and we'll get it right. How's that work for Venezuela right now, you know? Right. Socialism it is truly a, 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 a leap of faith. And, and they go at their politics with the same intensity 
that a, a jihadi would go at their politics. Mm. They have the same religious fervor and intensity and belief structure, but we've been here before. You know, we've, we've had other national debates up to and including the Civil War, uh, and, and uh, we're in another time, but we really are. I remember the Cold War. I remember the academics who told us the Soviets are really the good guys. Mm -hmm. Communism is really the good stuff, and they got the right idea, and we should be like them. Well, today, even Russia will admit it was a tragedy. It was a disaster. But the same people that told us that communists were the good guys are now telling us socialism is the good stuff. Now, all we got to do is turn everything over to the government. The government becomes their god. Mm -hmm. The government will take care of you from womb to tomb, from cradle to death. The government will be there. We give everybody money. We give everybody resources. Margaret Thatcher said, socialism works great until you run out of other people's money. You know, they're going to do all these things. And you ask them, well, where's the money coming from? Oh, well, well, we'll just soak the rich. Well, it'll give you this much. It's not even nearly enough to do what you want to do. And give every American a guaranteed income. And, you know, and, and then what happens is, you can have you can have military and law enforcement. You can have socialism. You can't have both. Mm. What is that if yes, you move deeper and deeper in the pit of socialism, mm -hmm. you lose your military. You lose other resources that are being devoted to paying off your voters. It's a it's a payback scheme of paying back voters. And so, I, I firmly believe that the battle against socialism mm -hmm. represents the cutting edge of not just our nation but our world. We're really right now striving against great evil. We defeated fascism. We defeated communism. And the next great evil, the most insidious of all, is, is socialism. Mm. And it is, they're going at it with the same intensity that a religious zealot would go at uh, their, their jihad. I, and conservatives haven't changed much. Conservatives are, are conservative. They don't change. They have eternal values and eternal virtues. And, mm -hmm. and we translate the Constitution the way the founding fathers intended it to be. Mm -hmm. The ones who are deeply invested in change, the ones who have, who have really drug this whole debate down to the lowest level. And of course, uh, we got President Trump, who uh, doesn't hesitate to, to talk to people and say mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. you know, I was at the White House in February. I was invited to the White House for the President's Roundtable on violent video games. Really? Very, very gracious and impressive person in person. Oh, you know, I love them anyway. So. <laughs> we've all been around politicians. Politicians are just slimy. Politicians mm -hmm. give you this slimy feeling. They've never made a decision. Uh, they can, the committee does this, or somebody does that, and we all vote on this. Uh, the, the politicians never lead. They're, 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 they're pushed by their constituents. They do, they do what their constituents demands them to do, no more, no less. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but sitting there around a the table with President Trump, it, it was not a politician. And they that's were, what I love about him. That yes. I do. Yes, it was, it, was like a, it was like a battalion command and staff. Mm -hmm. The battalion commander is there, his staff is there, his company commanders are there. He's sincerely interested in information. You disrespect him, and you're going down, baby. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was just incredibly refreshing to sit around the table with that kind of leadership in the room. I, I tell you, anytime you're ready to give up, anytime you're ready to give up, take a deep breath and say, Hillary is not the president. <laughs> take a little deep breath. Mm -hmm. Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, take a deep breath. They realize that across the wide stream of things, our nation is moving in some pretty good directions. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the, you know, the support from our president. Oh, my goodness. I mean, unbelievable. He's definitely supporting, you know, our military, but definitely our police. And it's, I, I can tell you, like Sheepdog Nation and I, we've had conversations about it and we're just pretty excited about it. You know, it makes us feel good. It, it deserves our, our, our excitement and, and to know that something is happening here. We're yeah. really just getting behind us. We had eight bad years. We, well, we really did, Colonel. And, and something I want to I wanna just see if I can get your opinion on it, because I know that, you, you know, obviously you train probably thousands of police officers every year. I just, you know from my own personal experience and actually very recently I asked a question, I held a poll and a lot of the officers um, responded, you know, we kind of have, or you'll probably correct me. It could be my opinion, but <laughs> um, you know, our administration, you know, we have, here's a kind of a, a bit of an epidemic that like I'm seeing and that they're seeing and 
you know, we have older officers and veteran officers, obviously in command, right? You know, 20, 30 year veterans, and I'm not taking anything away from that. However, a lot of them are not as educated as you have like these, you know, boots on the ground officers with bachelors and masters working on, you know, whatever they're doing. We have very educated boots on the ground. I'm not, that does not trump real world stuff. And I don't want you to think that, but my problem is, is there seems to be a gap between what, you know, what, what they did, right? Like what veteran, like what the white shirts did and then what, you know, boots on the ground have to deal with now. Like, what do you suggest for how do we deal with that? Well, you know, it's an eternal challenge. Mm-hmm. Every generation is significantly different than ones before. Mm-hmm. Technology moves, it, everything moves. And so um, just understand that this is almost like the eternal challenge. You know, we, we went from, from uh, Barney Fife and Andy Griffith, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and then we, we, we moved to, to the 60s with SWAT teams and riots. And then we moved to, uh, you know, to computers in the police cars. And then we moved to, uh, you know, and, and there's, there's always change. You know, the only constant in the universe is change. Mm-hmm. And so when we see the challenge that lies before this generation, that we see the changes that lie before us, is just keep it in perspective and understand that it's always been there. Mm-hmm. You know what I tell people, too, and I, I, maybe we move in this direction is um, um, this sense of an internal locus of control. Mm. Identify the thing, you know, what internal locus of control, what's that mean? You know, a cop told me one time, he said, I don't get PTSD, I give it. I'm a carrier. Most <laughs> understand that we're all human. You know, that said no pity party, no macho man. You know, I, mm-hmm. no pity party. Have faith, the bad thing can make us stronger, but no macho man. If there is a problem, deal with it and have faith, the help can help. As long as we realize we're all human, that's not a bad attitude to have. Mm-hmm. I control my destiny. I control my fate. I refuse to be a victim. Mm-hmm. Identify all the things you can't control and let go of them. Mm-hmm. I'll drive you mad. Identify the one thing in the universe you can't control and do it. And the, on a good day, the only person in the world we can control is ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't control what happened yesterday. We can't control what's happening at the global or the national level. The only person in the universe on a good day we can control is ourselves. Mm. And if we give way to bitterness, if we give way to cynicism or complacency or denial, that's the one thing we can control. Mm-hmm. And we've given the world a victory with our own hand, and we will not give them that victory. And so, it, you know, take all that stuff. That's why there's great power in faith as part of being a warrior, to have a higher power to hand these things over to. Mm. You gotta live in the now. You, know, you, you can't control what's happened at the national level. You can't change what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. You have to live intensely in the now. Mm. What's important now? You know, uh, uh, Willis doing some great work uh, on, on, on this philosophy of law enforcement. W-I-N, win, what's important now? Mm. Well, you, you can't change what already happened. You gotta let go of it. And you gotta let go of all those big global issues and focus on what you can control. And that's something I'd like to be able to give to your, to your podcast, to your sheepdogs out there. Because the, the, the great defining challenge in our civilization right now mm-hmm. is an epidemic of sleep deprivation. Mm. And, and, and I, I want to talk to you about that because this is where we can make changes in our life right now. Mm. This is where you can walk away from this podcast and do something tonight that will make a major change in your world. So when I talk about sleep, I tell people there's two uh, dynamics you got to understand up front. Number one, sleep is a biological blind spot. Mm. Our bodies are incompetent at making us get enough sleep because it always happened naturally. Throughout human history, every night without fail, it got dark. Dark, dark, dark. You couldn't see anything, couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, you know, in firewood was a rare and precious commodity. You had so much talking, so much sex. You roll over, you went to sleep. There's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Then Tommy Essett invented the light bulb and the television and the video game. And suddenly we're able to go 24-7. And our bodies are truly incompetent at get, making us get enough sleep. Our bodies are pretty good getting air, food, water. You ever think about how good the body is getting the right amount of food? How much food would a kid have to eat to put on one extra pound a month? If a kid puts on one extra pound a month, by the time he's 10, he's 120 pounds overweight. 
Wow. Our bodies are pretty good at getting air food. One of the ways I have to watch that. Mm. Our bodies are absolutely incompetent at getting enough sleep. It's a biological blind spot, number one. Number two, the video games and the social media are a social blind spot. If you staggered in the house drunk three o'clock every night, you know you got a problem. If you staggered in work sleep deprived, because you played video games all night long, or you're on social media all night long, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. After 18 hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.08 legally drunk. Mm. After 24 hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.10 above legally drunk. After two nights without sleep, you are psychotic. Any graduate of Army Ranger School to have had hallucinations on the third day without sleep. And we are living in a civilization of chronically sleep deprived people. It is a the overwhelming dynamic across our whole civilization. And it's one where we can make a difference. So the thing to understand, the video games are digital prep. They're, they're intensely addictive. And the social media is right behind it. Mm. The, the, the video games, millions of people right now, millions of people are online playing video games. We do this and 10% say, oh, good time to save the game and, and stop. So they never do that again. Mm -hmm. We do this and nobody stops. So they do more of that. It's a constant interactive feedback loop with millions of people that know just the right color, just the right clicker rate, just the right pattern, just the right plot to make that game impossible to turn off. Wow. And so it's eating our kids alive. Uh, children are devastated by it. People play the game until they die. Mm. People are, are wearing diapers to play the game because they can't get up to go to the bathroom. Oh. And, and they, are, they are so intensely addicted. So here's what I tell people. There is nothing wrong with adults playing video games unless it gets with your sleep or your job or your family. Mm -hmm. Understand that video games put you in a flow state. Uh, the recent research tells us video games are responsible for 15% of all divorces in America. Google it. Video oh. games, 15%. Holy shit. And, and among younger ages, actually quite a bit higher. And all that many six-year-olds getting divorces over video games. But what happens is that the video games put you in a, in a state of flow. Suddenly it's three o'clock in the morning. Got no idea where the last six hours went. And your spouse is sincerely ticked off. So what I tell people is just, just good. It's nothing wrong with having something to escape every night. Play the game for an hour or two every night. Set your, set your alarm on your cell phone. Ding, the timer goes off. Use your steely disc and save the game and move on. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, oh, oh. I play a major, massive, metamorphic, ongoing, on, on, online orgasmic game. You can't do anything an hour through a day. Mm. I say, okay, cool. Decide now what's important. Mm. Your job important, your health important, your family important. What is the game important? That game's look really important. It's cool. Quit your job right now. Move into your parents' basement. Draw unemployment. Buy a giant economy-sized bag of Cheetos. Play video games all night long. Millions of people are doing that. But if you want to have a job, if you want to have health, if you want to have a family, you've got to get these things under control. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the social media can be right behind it. The social media, millions of people are filtering the most fascinating, interesting thing of all to float to the top. And that's mm -hmm. what you're looking at every day with social media. It can become equally addictive. So if somebody showed up to morning roll call, if a cop showed up roll call drunk, you'd kick his ass. Right. If he shows up roll call sleeper pride because he played video games all night long, he needs his ass too. Mm. There's nothing cute, there's nothing funny about showing up work drunk. There's nothing cute, there's nothing funny about showing up work sleep deprived because yeah. you're online all night long. And, and here's what we know um, sleep deprivation is one of the greatest predictors of suicide. Mm. Now, we always knew that alcohol and suicide were related. Alcohol creates impaired judgment, you make a bad decision, and you never get a chance to rethink it but the most pervasive form of impaired judgment is sleep deprivation. Mm. As it gets worse and worse across our civilization, the suicide rates exploded. The preteen, I'm talking tweeners, we're talking, we're talking 11 and 12 year old is the fastest growing portion of our suicide population. Suicide deaths around the world are at levels we never dreamed of. I know. And, and the new factor in the equation is sleep deprivation. And one of the greatest predictors, one military study tells us sleep deprived people can be up to five times more likely to take their life. Wow. In the military, our suicides have nothing to do with combat. 
a non-combat vet is as likely to take life as a combat vet. Our suicides have a lot to do with sleep deprivation. Traffic deaths are up. Decade after decade, traffic deaths came down. Airbags, seatbelts, medical technology, now they're back up. One of the major killers of our kids. Uh, if you've got a kid going to be behind the wheel of the vehicle tomorrow morning, they must get a good night's sleep the night before. And, mm. and back to suicide. Wow. Parenting 101 for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. When you send your kid to bed at night, take their cell phone away from them. Mm-hmm. No, laptop, no laptop, no cell phone. They have got to go to the room and sleep. A cop told me, a cop told me, he said, he said, I had a good girl. He said she was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. So, so I trusted her. And a little while later, she took her life. Oh. And he said, he said, I never knew the hell my little girl was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Oh, no. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And she's up all night long, night after night, trying to defend herself, trying to find somebody to stand up for herself. He said, my little girl was tormented and bullied and sleep deprived to death in front of my eyes. Mm. He said, the one thing on earth I could have done for her is take her cell phone every night, let her turn off all the bad stuff in this world. He, he said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How do we expect our kids to? Right. So, so two major killers were kids, suicide and traffic deaths. The third mm-hmm. major killer of our kids is drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. Just taking drugs is impaired judgment right there. Mm-hmm. And, and drug overdoses is a key factor. So the three major killers of our kids, suicide, sleep deprivation, and drug overdoses, there's something we can do right now. Mm. And that's control their sleep to get that good night's sleep. And, and sleep hygiene is an important part of it. We'll give you some nuts and bolts on sleep hygiene later on. Yeah. I understand the absolute critical, essential need for sleep. It's a biological blind spot. Your body doesn't know how to do it. I'm a huge fan of the, the Fitbit or the Apple Watch or the Garmin Watch where you track your sleep. Mm. And Every cop, every citizen, you got to track their sleep. I really think the Fitbit might be doing the best job with its sleep app. The one problem with the Fitbit is, uh, you know, it, 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 like I have, it, it measures the time when you're, when you're awake. You don't know it, but you're awake when you're asleep. It counts that time against you and your hours of sleep. So, so you, you got to have, you know, about 15% of, for, for me at my age, I'm way below the normal awake time. 15% of my sleep is awake time, which is good for this age. But that means about one hour out of every six doesn't count in my favor. Oh, wow. so in order to get eight hours of sleep, I got to block out over nine hours of sleep. So, you know, just follow the, the clock. Mm. Don't be quite so intense on the hours of sleep on the Fitbit, but manage your sleep. Mm. You know, keep track of your sleep like you track your money it's not going to happen naturally and so there's two profoundly stupid things we're doing in law enforcement i'm talking devastating okay it's a 12-hour shifts mm-hmm. last year california highway patrol came off at 12s it was a disaster anytime a major agency goes at 12s you see the problem so it's, uh, uh, traffic accidents explode internal affairs investigations explode a major harvard study the greatest predictor of ethical failure in law enforcement, the greatest predictor of use of force failure in law enforcement is sleep deprivation. Mm. At the end of the 12-hour shift, people are exhausted and they will do things and they will say things and regret for the rest of their life. Uh, the 12s are insane. But what happens is they want to be like firefighters where 12-hour shifts get all that time off. Mm-hmm. Well, firefighters get to sleep on the job. Only firefighters and prostitutes make money in bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And you ain't no firefighter, baby. Come <laughs> on, so, the 12-hour shifts are insane. We've, we've got to go. The old-timers know what they're doing. Eight-hour shifts. 10s are doable. The old-timers know what they're doing. Eight-hour shifts. Bid for your shift based on seniority. Uh, you, 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 you want to stay at nights for a life? Then good for you. Stay at nights and hunt the wolf. You want to move to days? Good. You've earned the seniority. Move to days. Mm-hmm. But see, the other thing we're doing is rotating shifts. I'm a huge science geek. My very recent research, rotating shifts destroys families. Families can handle night shift. Families can handle day shift. They cannot handle rotating shifts. Mm-hmm. Rotating shifts take years off people's lives. Rotating shifts once a month will line everybody up once a month, kick them right dead in the nuts, 
And that's better than rotating shifts because mm-hmm. nothing you can do to put everybody behind the power curve. Just as their body, it, be, it takes up to a full year to fully adapt the night shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the body begins to adapt, boom, you rotate. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It takes years off our life. I tell people, if you're rotating shifts, start saving money right now, you're going to be sued. You're going to be successfully sued. It taken years off people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and you're, you're setting them up for failure. So mm-hmm. again, the old timers know what they're doing. Eight-hour shifts, tens are doable, put a hard cap on it and bid for your ship based on seniority. What happens is the new guys come in and say, oh, I don't want to wait to get seniority beyond this ship. This is no fair. Let's rotate shifts. We'll suck it up, buttercup. Because mm-hmm. rotating shifts means everybody loses. Mm-hmm. It is the most managerially, scientifically, medically negligent thing we can do. Mm-hmm. But here's the key now. You probably can't control your shift work. You can vote and over a period of time change that. And you, you can't control some of this other stuff. So let me tell you the things you can control. I call this sleep 101. Sleep 101 gets with nap 101. Naps are friend, naps are good. But anything less than 30 minutes is pretty much a waste of time. 30 minutes is not a good nap, it's a minimum nap. Mm-hmm. But you're driving down the road, your head is bobbing. Take those little micro naps. Well, I've been there, I take little micro naps. Mm-hmm. Pull over, put your head down for 10 minutes, the alarm goes off, kind of like a startle response. But as far as sleep deprivation goes, that 10 minute nap was a total waste of time. Mm. Put you down for 30 minutes. The alarm goes off. You're bleary and you're groggy and you don't want to get up. You know why? Because you're asleep. It takes 30 minutes for a solid sound, deep cycle. Dang it, I want to get back to being asleep. And in general, anything less than 30 minutes is a waste of time. So that means the snooze alarm is not our friend. The mm-hmm. snooze alarm is always set for about 10 minutes because 10 minutes is just enough time to get that startle response. The snooze alarm is an evil little button that makes you relive the worst part of every day over and over again. Mm. I, I am deadly serious. Really? You can world right now by never touching that snooze alarm again. No kidding. That what the snooze alarm does is, is, is your body tries to adapt to 10-minute naps. Like you're trying to teach your body to take 10-minute naps, and it can't do it. You are doing physical, mental harm to your body with the snooze alarm. Huh. As your body tries to adapt to 10-minute naps. And you're throwing away 10-minute chunks of your life. Mm. You, get, you get a 10-minute snooze, another snooze, a third snooze. You just, you just threw away 30 minutes of your life. No kidding. Snooze is no as far as sleep goes. And no as far as your life goes. Now, I will teach you a trick that will put 30 minutes of quality sleep back in every day. That okay. Three and a half hours sleep back in every week. That adds up to two pure, beautiful nights sleep back in every month. That adds up to 24 nights sleep back in every year. Very simple. Set the alarm a half hour later and get the hell out of bed. I, I like it. And if it's that stinking hard to get out of bed, what's your body trying to tell you? Yeah, you need sleep. And so what I tell people is that, uh, that uh, if you got to quit this news alarm, you got to get out of bed to turn it off and do it. Mm. Right, and here's something else you can try. Set your cell phone to go off at... 715, 716, 717, 718, 719. And eventually, that's what it takes to get out of bed, then do it. And, 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 and use your discipline. But the ultimate point is, is, is discipline. Hmm. Have you got self-discipline? Have you got the self-discipline to suck up a slug and drive on? It's the first act of every day to surrender to your body. Hmm. It's the first act of every day to take charge and roll out of bed. It comes down to discipline. Muhammad Ali, one of the great champions in history, said, uh, championship began every morning the alarm went off. Mm. So much. He put his running shoes on top of the alarm. With the alarm, he grabbed his running shoes. That's discipline. Mm. So I'm serious. Never touch that snooze alarm again. And, and, and the next is, uh, is the darkest our thing. You may not change one thing, but you will rock your world by sleeping in a truly dark room. Mm-hmm. Well, over the window, block out all light. And wear a sleep mask. It's one of those things where there's no harm in doing both. There are a major study in the sleep lab. In a truly dark room, the bathroom light is on and the door is shut. The light coming under the crack of the bathroom door is enough light to stop your body from producing the melatonin that you need. No kidding. In the dark, dark, dark. You can rock your world right now. But we're in that sleep mask and try to get it absolutely dark. Some of the, the research tells us that the, the glowing numbers on a clock, you know, the, the glowing numbers of the clock is too much light. Mm. Now, when we're babies, 
babies are sloshing with melatonin. Babies sleep anywhere. By the time we become teenagers, our body stops producing so much melatonin. And our teenagers have got to sleep in a truly dark room. On top of all this sleep deprivation, we had this sleep hygiene, which our kids are sleeping with the light on. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting the quality sleep they need. The next step is, uh, is nicotine. Nicotine is not our friend. It's of no value as far as sleep deprivation. Caffeine is one of the most effective drugs we've ever found to temporarily limit your molemility of minimal side effects if you're not abusing the drug on a daily basis. We are in the mm-hmm. middle of a civilization-wide epidemic of caffeine abuse. And it Im- impacts everything else that we're doing. One recent study told us in the military, uh, the energy drinks are closely related with PTSD. They're, the greater the energy drinks, the greater the probability of PTSD. No kidding. Yeah, so here's what we know. Here's what we know about caffeine. Mm-hmm. Coffee is just about one of the best things to put in your body. Tea's really? right. Coffee drinkers across the board, and this is replicated research, been nailed down over and over again. Coffee drinkers are living several years longer than non-coffee drinkers across the board. Hmm. I must be freaking immortal then. So here's what we know. Uh, one or two normal cups of coffee or tea at breakfast, good for us. One or two cups at lunch. Then switch to decaf and have all you want. But the half-life of caffeine in our body is five hours. That means the caffeine you took at 5 p.m. is still at half strength when you go to bed at 10 p.m. Mm. And it makes us have bad quality sleep. Mm. Well, I teach our Predator and Reaper squadrons. I teach our F-22 and F-35 squadrons. They always have the flight surgeon there. The flight surgeon's a scary smart guy. He's a full-blown MD, fully read up on the latest research. Mm-hmm. Well, I stole this from one of these guys. I show him my class. I said, you know, this is the sleep line. Mm-hmm. We drop below the sleep line. If there's caffeine in your body, the sleep line moves. Mm. Caffeine doesn't make you not sleep. Caffeine makes it easier to stay awake, harder to have quality sleep. Caffeine makes you have bad quality sleep. You're not getting the deep cycle sleep that you need. And you're awake. You're not even aware of it, but you're awake far more often. So normal cup or two of coffee or tea at breakfast, one or two at lunch, then switch to decaf. The mm-hmm. sodas are, are sugary poison. Two different studies last year showing these sodas are carcinogen. Mm-hmm. One soda day is not going to kill you. But if, if your only form of hydration, pattern down the sodas, like your only form of food is candy bars, you understand? Right. And, and, and the diet sodas are worse. Several mm-hmm. recent studies showing us that the diet sodas are being metabolized different than we thought they were. Again, mm-hmm. one candy bar a day is not going to kill you. But if your only form of hydration is diet soda, if your blood type is diet coke, you got a problem. Right. Uh, energy drinks are pure evil. Mm-hmm. Energy drinks are all bad. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been at war for 17, going on 18 years. Mm-hmm. For the first 15 years, our military passed out energy drinks like water. Okay. to the troops. Same with good guys. Then, year before last, there were two major Department of Defense studies on the energy drinks. And today, for all practical purpose, there is a complete ban on energy drinks in the armed forces. Uh, they're like cigarettes. If you want to buy your own, not going to stop you, but we will never give them to you. In a tactical environment, the one pounding out the most energy drinks are the ones most likely to not off on the job. In an academic environment, the one taking the most energy drinks were the ones most likely to have bad grades. They're all bad. Never touch them again. They're condensed poison. All the energy drinks do is give us a one-hour burst of physical ability. Then after that hour, the next energy drink feels real good for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Next one feels good for five minutes. Next one feels good for three minutes. Mm-hmm. But after the first energy drink, all the others are wasted. And here's the key. Cut off all caffeine for one day. If you get any withdrawal symptoms, that's what's happening. Headaches, shakes, digestive problems, cut off all caffeine for one day. If you get any withdrawal symptoms, as living proof you're abusing the drug when mm-hmm. any will not be there for you. So you're doing a double shift. You're doing extended operations. You're nodding off, and caffeine's not there for you because you abuse it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You're driving your family home from vacation. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're yep. nodding off. Got the right? nod. Mm-hmm. Caffeine's not there for you because you've been abusing it on a daily basis. Mm. But go from caffeine abuse to wise caffeine use. This incredibly useful, valuable drug. Use it responsibly. They yeah. won't be there for you. What's the point? 
I tell my, my cops, mm. don't hesitate to go to the sleep lab. Get wired up in the sleep lab. So many of our cops have sleep apnea. And this is cutting-edge research where we can do more and more good. But um, a cop recently told me, she said, I, she said, I had seven years of headaches. She said, I, 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 I pretty much forgot the headaches were even there. She said, I went to the sleep labs, a cop. She said, you have sleep apnea. Where's this CPAP machine? She said, that next morning, I woke up without a headache for the first time in seven years. Wow. And it was the most beautiful thing that has ever happened in my life. Wow. Navy SEAL E9, a Navy SEAL Master Sergeant, told me, he said, I had nine years of bad sleep. Everybody on the team complained about the storm. Finally, I was ordered to go to the sleep lab. One night, the sleep lab, Master Chief, you got sleep after you got it bad. Wear this CPAP machine. He said, there are no words. The next morning, I woke up with the first good night's sleep after nine years. There is no way I can explain to you how beautiful that was. Mm. No meal I've ever eaten, no sex I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Nothing in my life has ever been as beautiful as waking up after good night's sleep after nine years of bad sleep. Wow. Figure, you know, that we can listen to what they've got to tell us. Sleep is the one thing we can control right now. Go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. Do not touch that snooze alarm. If you've got to set your cell phone for it, it goes off at 7, 701, 702, 703, 704. If that's what you got to do, do it. But do not touch that snooze alarm again and, and get yourself while you roll out of bed. The first act of every day is not to give unto your body, but to take charge. Mm. Sleep in a really dark room and add the sleep mask, a combination of the two. Very few of the sleep masks truly 100% effective at keeping out light. But the combination is, is, is super. And, uh, and use caffeine responsibly. Take the challenge right now. Cut off all caffeine for one day. If you get withdrawal symptoms, says living proof, you're abusing the drug. Use it responsibly. It'll be there for you. And you rock your world right now. Take control of the things you can do with your sleep. And, and, uh, and sleep deprivation mm. takes years off our life. I love that. A bad quality life. We're not yeah. the we want to be. We're not the parent we want to be. We're mm. not the spouse we want to be when we're sleep deprived. It's one area we can make a change right now. And that obviously will definitely play into the stress, right? So for for lacking sleep, we're pretty got to be the stress must, especially the stress management we must not be able to manage it. They amplify each other. Whatever stressor you have, when you combine it with sleep deprivation, those stressors amplify each other. Mm. And, and so the, these stressors can stack up on top of here, but it's, it really is a, a multiplicative, it's amplifying relationship. Mm. Every, you know, if, if, you're, if you're elderly and you're attacked, the, the physical infirmity of the elderly body, mm-hmm. combined with that attack, these stressors can amplify each other. Mm. So can I ask you this? I want to ask you, so I'm gonna, we're going to sh- shift gears just a moment because I want to ask you and I want to talk to you a little bit about the term, obviously, sheepdog. And how, how did you come up with that? You know, it, it, was, uh, it was a wise old uh, Vietnam veteran, retired mm-hmm. colonel. I was doing research for my book uh, on killing in graduate school. And, and he, he told me, it's just one sentence from him. We've run with it ever since. He said, most people in the world are not wired for violence. They're, they're sheep. You know, and I, and I tell people, you know, the hard thing to explain is not that one in a million terrible crime. The hard thing to explain is that 99.9% of our citizens go a lifetime, never kill anybody, never try to explain that. Divorce, infidelity, layoff, traffic accidents, and less than one in a thousand citizens in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Will ever kill anybody or try to explain that? Most people just not wired for violence. Mm-hmm. He, said, he said, you know, most people are wired for the sheep, and then there's the wolves, and they'll feed on the sheep. He said, then there's the people who protect the sheep. As I knew from my youngest days that I wasn't a sheep and I wasn't a wolf. I, I'm a sheep dog. Mm-hmm. And in one sentence, he communicated just this incredible, incredible message. And I, I put it in on killing, and it was amazingly well received in on killing. It evolved; it just kind of grew on its own, and did a whole section on on combat. Now that section kind of is viral and moving around, and mm-hmm. been a good been a good tool to touch lives and understanding. Can't tell me people come up to me and said, "All my life, I thought there's something wrong with me. Like I was a wolf. I'm not a wolf. Mm. I would never use my skills to harm people, but I yearn for the opportunity to use my skills." At the moment of truth, I'm a sheepdog. Mm. And the thing to understand is it's a decision as to which you're going to be. 
you know, we wrap up the Sheepdog Kids book by saying, you know what, wolves are born that way. They're not really bad. They're an important part of nature. Sheep are born that way, and that's all they're ever going to be. And dogs can't really save the day. But people are different. People can be whatever they want to be. Have you got what it takes to be a sheepdog? Mm. I'll wrap up the Sheepdog Kids book with that. You know, and, uh, that's we can powerful. Be, we can make a conscious decision to walk that warrior path, to be that sheepdog, to seek those skills. And that's really the next step in resiliency. The first step is motivation. The next step, motivation turned into action. Identify mm-hmm. the things you couldn't do or do them. Whatever happens, your conscience is clear. So, so, Colonel, can you do me a favor? And I know I define it all the time, but I just know, could you define to us like what a sheepdog is in your terms? Yeah. The sheepdog is the individual who has capacity for violence and the love for the lambs. Mm. If you have, if you have, if you're not capable of violence, then you're a sheep. Now, there's one major side effect, by the way. The one exception is violence protects your children. Of all the violence we could engage in, of all the violence we would have to live with, violence protect our children is what we're what we're wired to do. Mm-hmm. Mama bear protecting our cubs can be the most dangerous things on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you women have told me I would die for my children, but I wouldn't die for myself. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Mm. Your children's mom is every bit as important as our children are. You got to mm-hmm. confront that. But you know, we got those who have no capacity for violence. We got those who have a capacity for violence in an absence of empathy. Mm-hmm. And that's the pretty good thumbnail definition of a sociopath. Then we have the capacity for violence and the love for others. Mm. A capacity for violence in a lifetime of nurturing that capacity to use it in our greatest need, to be there for people in their hour of greatest need. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for defining that. Well, I, I try to define it all the time based off of your readings. <laughs> so I'm glad that they get to hear you <laughs> define well, it. What other people have to say. So much of what I have is somebody threw it in in the middle of the class and I ran with it from that point on. You know, mm. Each of us has probably got one or two truly smart ideas will ever happen in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. We listen to other people's smart ideas and weave them in. That's what these podcasts are all about. 100%. 100%. It's such a greater depth of information in these podcasts. Anybody listen to this podcast right now, I honor you. You are seeking a greater depth of information. You're seeking a tool that in previous years wasn't available. Mm-hmm. To be able to tap into these ideas with greater depth of knowledge. And, and I honor you who put that podcast together. I honor you who are listening to it. Yeah, thank you. And and it's really cool because we got a lot of people right now listening on duty. So we have a lot of um a lot of officers that listen to this on duty, which obviously is extremely, you know, honoring. Um and and it's cool. It's it is really cool and it's 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 cool to, you know, embody that and and remember and and listen to everything that you're saying about how you know it really is your mind, you know, and we make this decision to step up and be the sheepdog and and what we have to do for that. And I think obviously listening to a podcast like this and reading books and, and, you know, really collectively putting that all of the information that we can get and be actively seeking new and fresh perspectives and new training is just, you know, and you, and you use a really important word collectively, you know, you want talk about the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. the idea that once enough people have got the idea, it, it becomes uh, uh, unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're doing is we're making our contribution with collective consciousness out there. Mm-hmm. This is what it's all about, making a positive contribution. You know, don't, don't piss them on about politics. You know, it's fun to talk about. But focus your energy on things you can control, on things you can change, on things you can do. I love that. This podcast and the knowledge and the power that comes with it. And, and it's true, you know, Colonel, and just, you know, because I know we're getting ready to wrap this up, but like, I just, I really want to reiterate that, especially for you, Sheepdog Nation, like, you know, the thing about cops and because I can speak because I am one and I know it's human nature, right? But like, we love to, we like to pull up car to car and talk shit. Like I have a whole other episode about like not doing that, right? But like what you said is just so freaking important. It's just like, you focus on what you can control. Right? Like you can't control that asshole supervisor and the white shirts and the admin and, and you know, you can't control all that stuff. But you know, you can control you and how you you know, how you are a sheepdog and what you put in, you know, to the job and, and stuff like that. That comes yeah. back around that internal locus of control. Mm. And that yeah. comes back around to how valuable faith can be to handle those over to a higher power. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that comes back to not being stressed out. So we need to get enough sleep. <laughs> right now. Just dedicate yourself right now to walk home and take control of those issues. Yeah, I love that. Um, Colonel, before we leave, do you have any, what would be the one thing would you leave Sheepdog Nation with, whether it's, you know, advice to a rookie or just every officer, is there anything that you would just leave, you'd like to let every officer know? Like, what would you, what would you tell them? Well, you know, we hit the high ground today. Mm-hmm. You get your chance to tell them. You know, that motivation to understand it's the worst of times, it's the best of times. Mm-hmm. Understand the honor there is in manning the ramparts in a dark and desperate hour. Mm-hmm. And then that motivation turned into action. You know, identify things you can do and do with it, the internal locus of control. And then the thing you can do right now is start impacting their, your sleep hygiene mm-hmm. and your children and, and your spouse mm-hmm. and, and, and start applying that dynamic across the board to sleep in a truly dark room and to teach your children to do that. And, you know, the, like I told my grandson, you know, it, that the dark can be a friend that she'd be comfortable in the dark. You know, my grandson mm-hmm. said, well, there's scary things in the night. I said, yeah, it's us. Yeah. It's us. The sheep died. That's right. They go bump in the night. We're the things that the wolf fears. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Colonel. Um, on behalf of Sheepdog Nation, truly an honor. And um, thank you very much for being here. My pleasure, Ron. And that was another episode of Sheepdog Nation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and let us know by giving us a rating. If you have questions that you want answered by Autumn in the podcast, Submit it by going to the link in the show notes. As always, stay safe and watch your six.